You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. This morning we're going to be talking about baptism and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16 verse 25. I'm going to provide a little bit of context for you, but before I do, I want you to think of some symbols that maybe you recognize in your life. What is the symbol of the San Diego Padres? It's the friar, right? He's got no hair right here, a nice beard. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> Baseball bat, right? You see that and you know that it represents who? It represents the San Diego Padres, but it's much more than that, right? There's individual players. There's deals and trades. There's money involved. There's managers. There's equipment people. There's fans. There's a whole culture that gets wrapped up into that symbol, which is the mascot or the emblem of the San Diego Padres. What about this? What is this? It's, a, it's not my marriage. It's what? It's just a ring, right? It's a hunk of metal that represents the 11 years that my wife and I have together, the four children that we've been blessed with, the difficult seasons of our marriage, the joyful blessings that God's provided, all the experiences that we've shared. God has used this little symbol to represent something much greater. And as we talk about baptism today, baptism is certainly a symbol of being united in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want you to know it's also much more than a symbol. Baptism is walking in obedience with the Lord in which God provides transformation in people's lives. And this morning we're going to talk about why it is so important for us as believers, as followers of Christ, as those who say, hey, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, why it's important for us to be baptized. So to give you some context of our text this morning, this takes place after Jesus has died on the cross, been raised from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. And he's called his disciples, which at this point includes the apostle Paul, to go out into all the world and to begin to share the gospel. And Paul and another disciple named Silas are working together in a city called Philippi. And Philippi was a pagan Roman city, not much different than Carlsbad. And it was a great opportunity for them to share the good news of Jesus with all those that they met. And as a matter of fact, Paul and Silas are doing such an amazing job that they get themselves into trouble. As they're preaching the good news about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, there is a girl that has a demonic spirit in her who follows Paul and Silas around wherever they go, going, these are the servants of the Most High God, and they have the way to salvation. And it doesn't just happen once. It happens day after day after day when Paul and Silas are in Philippi. And Paul gets annoyed. I would think it would be cool to have free press, but it's also coming from a demonic spirit, so there's definitely a conflict of interest here. And Paul finally decides to cast the demon out of this young girl, and when he does, her two masters, because she was a slave, realize that they can no longer make a profit off of her. 
and they become angry and they grab Paul and Silas and they drag them before the magistrates of Philippi and they claim that these men have disturbed the peace and they've caused all kinds of trouble. And so the magistrates tell the jailer and the guards, I want you to strip them of their clothes. I want you to take rods and I want you to beat them. And then I want you to throw them into the inner prison, chain them up and put them in the stocks. And this is where we find Paul and Silas. They had been sharing the good news. They'd been doing God's work. And look where it got them. The innermost part of the prison in chains. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then the jailer called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he, excuse me, before Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, meaning the jailer took them, and washed their stripes or their wounds. And immediately he and all of his family were what? They were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he, meaning the jailer, rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. What an incredible story of God's power and spirit moving in the life of a hard heart. Now I want to encourage you this morning. When you think of this jailer, it is probably likely that he either oversaw or participated in the beating of Paul and Silas. Here is a man who worked for the Roman government, got his livelihood from what he did, and was probably a pagan or idol worshiper of Roman gods. And in a very short moment, by seeing the power of Christ move in Paul and Silas and experiencing God himself, not only was he saved, but his whole household was saved. We're going to walk through this passage quickly, but take a look at the depth of what God is providing this morning. It says at midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? It says they were singing hymns and praising God and praying and all the prisoners were listening to them. What an amazing testimony and example of what happens when we are filled with God's spirit. They are in the innermost part of the prison. They are chained up. They've been beaten for actually serving God. And what are they doing? They're singing and praising God because they just can't help themselves. And who is it ministering to? The other prisoners. It says all the other prisoners were listening to them. And as they're singing and praying, which, by the way, Paul later writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, sing hymns, praises, and spiritual songs with one another. It's one of the greatest ways to encourage each other is to sing. A mighty earthquake happens. Now, we believe this earthquake was certainly supernatural. 
And as this earthquake literally shakes the foundation of the city of Philippi, which was not uncommon in Philippi, it says that the prison doors sprang open and somehow all the chains became loose on all the prisoners. Now, how many of you, if you were wrongfully put in prison and an earthquake happened and the door sprang open, would be like, hallelujah, Jesus, I'm out. Just me? Anybody? Yeah, all of us, right? We'd be like, God, open the doors. How many times do we hear, oh, God's opened this door and God's opened this door and God's opened this door. It must be the door I'm supposed to go through. And yet we begin to see the power of God's spirit alive in Paul and Silas. Instead of just sprinting to their freedom, instead of taking the opportunity to simply just bless themselves and look out for their own, we see the mighty work of God in their life and they stay put. Now, what in the world would cause them to stay where they are? Why would they not fly the coop? Well, we find out in this response. It says that the jailer, assuming that everyone had bailed, he knew Roman law. If you were a guard or a jailer for the Roman Empire, and someone escaped on your watch, there was a debt to pay. And what was that debt? It was death. Now, here's what's amazing. Within this story, we see this great earthquake happen. Do you guys remember when another great earthquake happened? It was at the death of Jesus Christ, the symbolism of the power of sin and death itself being broken and shaken at its foundations. And what does it do? It opens doors and it loosens chains. But it doesn't just open door and loosens chains so that we can have an easier life. It opens doors and loosens chains for the very purpose of ministering to others. And this man, this jailer, he knew that he was a dead man if the prisoners escaped. Assuming that they had, he gets ready to fall onto his sword, to commit suicide, to kill himself. Because there is a debt to be paid no difference than with us in our sinfulness. There is a debt to be paid and it's with our life. And yet Christ came for the very purpose of taking that debt that we owed upon himself, nailing it to the cross, burying it in the grave, and then being raised up to new life where the power of sin and death still remains for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. And for this jailer, for this man, as Paul cries out, do no harm to yourself, we are all here. What a picture of the gospel. Jesus, not just looking out for himself, but instead bearing the weight of mankind upon his shoulders, saying, you don't have to die. I'm right here. I haven't left. You don't have to take your own life. You don't have a debt to pay because I paid it. And it says that this jailer comes in trembling trembling before Paul and Silas. I love the word trembling because it indicates something important. He comes with humility. He comes with desperation and he asks an amazing question. Sirs, how must I be saved? What do I need to do to be saved? And here's what I love about Paul's response. Paul doesn't say, hey, you got to get baptized or hey, you got to quit being a jailer. Hey, you got to stop wearing those short skirts the Romans make you wear. Paul doesn't say any of those things. What does Paul say? Believe. He says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
Now, we might be thinking, like, Paul, is that an oversimplification? I mean, just simply to believe? Well, look at Romans chapter 10 on your screens. I want to read this together. This is Romans 10, 10 through 12 and 13. Read it with me. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, we are saved by God's power, not our own. We are saved by God's power, not our own. This is important for us as we understand what baptism is. Baptism does not save us. As a matter of fact, there's a few things that baptism doesn't do. Baptism does not save us. Baptism does not wash away our sins. And baptism does not earn us God's forgiveness. Baptism is the outward representation of what God has already inwardly done through his son, Jesus Christ, in your life. Baptism is the response to God's initiation of salvation. We do not baptize people today to save them. We baptize them because they're already saved, have proclaimed Jesus Christ, and seek to follow him. That is why we baptize. And what's amazing is when we look at the text, Paul doesn't just give this man an answer of, hey, simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And then look at verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who was in his house. Which means this. The jailer didn't just simply get a canned answer of, oh, believe in Jesus. They took the time to unpack the gospel story. They took the time from Genesis all the way to Jesus' resurrection to show this man and his family who the Messiah was. They gave him the whole counsel of God. Now this man may have been a baby believer. But he certainly knew what he was committing his life to. He knew through watching Paul and Silas. Seeing the power of God at work. The grace, the love, the mercy. And he receives it with such joy that look at his response. It says, and he took them. The same hour of the night. And he did what? He washed their stripes. Or he washed their wounds. That's like taking Sylvester Stallone. In one of his crazy movies. And instead of killing everybody. He's now a nurse at the local hospital. Tending to small children. (laughs) Now we laugh. But this is the transforming power of God. How do you take a hard-hearted jailer who beats people for a living and puts them in horrible conditions to become a man in a matter of moments who is literally washing the wounds of the very person he beat because he has understanding of the forgiveness he's been given and already he's putting it into practice. This is the transforming work of God. And the very next step is that he and his whole household, all those who were able to make a profession of faith, all those adults or children that were old enough to say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, they were baptized on the spot. In baptism, Jesus frees me from the bondage of sin. This does not mean that I'll never sin again. It means that I am set free. It means that my sinful nature is literally being cut off by the power of Christ. 
Not because I'm a good guy, not because you're a good woman, not because you've got superhuman strength now. Simply because of the work that God has done, you can be freed from the bondage of sin. The bondage of greed. The bondage of worrying about your image. The bondage of pornography. The bondage of addiction to substances. The bondage of discouragement and depression that cripples so many people in our communities. This is the power of God at work transforming lives as we respond in obedience to what he's called us to do. In baptism, Jesus empowers me to live for him and leads me by his Holy Spirit. Think about this real quick. How could two men like Paul and Silas have such a mind of Christ that instead of sprinting at the first shot at getting those doors open, they went, wait a minute, Lord, I know this is an open door, but is it the one you want me to take? And it doesn't say that they heard an audible voice, but they had the discernment to stay. Not looking out for themselves, but in the best interest of others, staying put. And imagine, had Paul and Silas and the rest of the prisoners gone, what would have happened? Not only would the jailer have died, but his household would not have been saved. When we walk by the Spirit, when he gives us the power to live in him, we stop thinking about ourselves and we start thinking about how God wants us to minister to others. And here's the beauty of what God does is he literally transforms lives through simply walking in obedience. It's not magic. It's not something that is so far fetched that you have to be at a spiritual level to attain. It's simply a response to God because we love him because of what he's done for us. When we walk in obedience, it ministers to others. And then lastly, in baptism, Jesus transforms my life. Remember, my life has already been saved through the cross of Christ and through his resurrection. Baptism is the obedient response to what Jesus calls us to. And when we walk in obedience, there is blessing. And blessing does not mean filling our bank accounts. Blessing does not mean getting a nicer car. Blessing does not mean having an easier life. As a matter of fact, that blessing may be sitting in a prison cell, chained up, and wondering what you're supposed to do when the doors open. But the blessing is to see other people's lives transformed in an impossible way that man could never do. This is the blessing that comes from walking in obedience as we respond to baptism. So this morning, why should we be baptized? First and foremost, because Jesus commanded it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus is getting ready to depart, to ascend into heaven, and he leaves his disciples this instruction. I have been given all authority on both heaven and earth. Go therefore now and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them the commandments that I have given to you, for I am with you until the end of the age or until I return again. Why should we be baptized as followers of Jesus? Because Jesus commanded it. Secondly, why should we be baptized? Because Jesus modeled it. When you look at Matthew chapter 3, he comes down to the Jordan River and he says to his cousin John, hey, I need to be baptized. And John goes, yep, nope, not going to happen. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus' response in uh, Matthew chapter 3 is, in order to fulfill all righteousness, according to my Father's will, this must be done. If Jesus got baptized, who needs to get baptized? We do. 
to walk in the footsteps of Christ. Now, so often we just think about the footsteps of Christ as his path to the cross, pain and suffering. And yes, that can happen. But don't forget that Jesus was raised up from the dead and exalted into new life, everlasting, and sits at the right hand of his father. This is the same promise that God desires to do for us. Although we are not to be worshiped and glorified, our inheritance is the same inheritance that Jesus has been given. We should follow in his footsteps. Lastly, why should we be baptized? It's a representation of the union that my life has with the burial, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It signifies, symbolizes, or unifies us with Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, the Apostle Paul says this, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. This is in Scripture, the cutting away of your sinful nature. How many of you would like to be done with your sinful nature? Amen. Now, that process doesn't happen in one day, and we will never be perfected until we go home to be with Christ or he returns. But we grow to become more like Christ as he cuts off more and more of our selfish desires and replaces it with the heart and the mind of Jesus. This is the power of what God is doing, transforming lives when we walk in obedience to the call of baptism. So I want to finish with these questions for you today. And this isn't just for the people who have committed to being baptized today. This is for the entire congregation. I don't care if you didn't bring your swimsuit. I don't care if you didn't do your hair and makeup. I don't care if you have a long speech. I want you to hear something. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be baptized in obedience to Jesus. And here's the joy of why. Am I ready to be baptized today? Number one. Have you repented of your sins? Do you recognize that all fall short of the glorious standard of God? That all of us are sinners? Have you repented of your sin? Have you asked for forgiveness according to the blood of Christ, who is the only one who can pay our debt? Secondly, do you believe that Jesus is your only Savior? Do you believe that Jesus is your only Savior? This is important because oftentimes we can make Christ part of our life. We can make Sunday a day of the week where we do this thing. But if you believe that Jesus is your only Savior, you don't lean on your own understanding. You don't lean on your own righteous works. We recognize according to Titus 3 verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. According to his mercy, he has saved us. Do you believe that Jesus is your only savior? And then lastly, do you seek Jesus's lordship in your life? Do you seek Jesus's lordship in your life? Here's what that means. That you go, God, I know I'm a sinner and I know I'm going to struggle with sin, but I want to abandon my sin and chase after you wholeheartedly. If that's you today, for yourself, between you and God, answer that question. Why should I be baptized or should I be baptized today? The beauty of baptism is not a guilt trip. It's not, hey, if you haven't been baptized, you're a horrible. Hey, scripture's clear. To, to be saved, you don't have to be baptized. 
But to walk in obedience with Christ, you have the privilege of following in the footsteps of Jesus. And I would argue this. As you walk in obedience, God desires to use your life to be a testimony to the lives of others, much like he did Paul and Silas. There's a woman here today who's getting baptized. Her name is Jamel. She's in my mission group, and I was able to have some discussion with her. She works at Sprouts, very powerful place. She works in the vitamin department. Ooh. She's not president of the United States. She works in the vitamin department at Sprouts. And you want to know what she's doing while she's at Sprouts? She's giving people vitamins to help them grow in their physical health. And she's ministering the gospel by inviting people to the mission church, by sharing her own life experiences and testimony and what God has done in her life. And literally, there are people who are being baptized here today because she contacted them in Sprouts in her workplace because she's walking in obedience with Christ. It's not just Bible characters that we read in the scriptures. This is for you. God desires to use your life right where you are. In your place of work. In your school. Among your marriages. With your nieces, nephews, grandkids. In your singleness. God has called you to walk in obedience. So that you may be a testimony for him. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless. Oh, 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 oh